Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Commander uh, David Harris must uh, be casting his lot with Lori Lightfoot's re-election. Commander Harris... Chicago Police Department. He uh, oversees the district that includes the Loop, Bronzeville, and the adjacent lakefront areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on a program this week on a station up the dial from us that uh, feigns to be center right. A place where we how- both worked at one point in time? Uh huh. Explaining how uh, crime is down forty four percent. Oh, they have having fun with numbers again, are they? Every press conference I go to, they say the same thing, so I don't even go anymore. Oh, crime is better. Crime's down. Oh, you know, last week it was forty percent. Now it's forty four percent. Whatever. They just make up numbers. He uh, told these two useful idiots that host the morning show up the dial. Well, I'm going to have to brag a little bit. Uh, one, my leadership. Uh huh. <laughs> He's leading from the front on the street. Okay. And, um, and of course, he was encouraged to brag on his numbers. I took over in June. Since then, overall crime is down 44%. That's what he said. And, of course, that was received uncritically and enthusiastically by the host. Down 44%. CWB Chicago looked at monthly crime reports in Chicago's first district and finds that rather than being down 44%, it's actually up 30%. Robbery since June, not down 55%. They're up 2.3% year over year. Aggravated batteries, not down 41%, as Commander Harris said. They're up 2.7% year over year. Burglaries, not down 42%. They're up 1.5% year over year. Uh, as CWB Chicago concludes in their report, reports in those categories have dropped below last year during some recent months, but overall, from June to present, year over year, Harris's claims are pure fantasy, quote unquote. Well, get used to fantastical statements because we're in election full swing for the mayor's race, aren't we? And you know, actually, Commander Harris may he may not even be casting his lot with Lori Lightfoot, he just may be signaling to all the mayoral candidates that he is a good mouthpiece for Uh, whatever administration may be inaugurated next spring, and he will dutifully lie for you. He will dutifully tell the residents of Chicago things that are not true, nothing to see here. Uh, He will brag on himself a little bit to brag on whoever he's serving a little bit. And that, to me, is part of the problem with the Chicago Police Department. 
uh, we talk about it sometimes, but perhaps not often enough, is that at the leadership level, what you have are politicians in uniforms. You don't have law enforcement officials. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, and then a quick comment. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, and here's more statistics you'll likely be hearing. This is interesting. I was looking at arrests year over year on the Office of the Inspector General's Information Portal. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I review so you don't have to. And uh, I'm sure you're going to hear this from Lawyer Lightfoot, so be prepared. Let's see if my foreshadowing turns out to be prescient. Chicago arrests under Lori Lightfoot, 658 arrests last week. Now, there were 1,653 arrests the same week in 2019. So you say, well, oh, my gosh, that's a significant reduction in the amount of arrests. It's, you know, nearly uh, nearly a third of the arrests last week as the same week in 2019. That must mean there's less crime. Well, that's one theory. That's one possibility, I suppose. Another possibility is there's less policing and less prosecuting. And the less prosecuting has a multiplicative effect on the less policing, because why bother? And we know, because we know there's less police, and we also know there's less prosecutors. So uh, I, I just sort of want to seed the ground here for the kind of information you're going to be receiving from Lightfoot in particular, since she's the incumbent, and probably a lot of the members of the city council that are incumbents as well. Sort of what you heard in the in the election recently concluded, that campaign season recently concluded, from Pritzker and then to some extent Lightfoot as she was ramping up as well, which is uh, any concerns about uh, law and order in Illinois are so much the fantasy of mm-hmm. right-wingers like me. Uh, there is all this work that's being done, and we're making great progress. Oh, there's more work to do. There always is, but... Uh, We're putting in the work, and it's showing results, and the uh, apocalyptic predictions about the Pritzker-Purge law are just that. They're uh, the ravings of lunatics, and, you know, crime is uh, on the wane in the city of Chicago. Making great progress there, too. That's what you're going to hear. More to do, but we're making great progress. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Stay the course. Nothing to see here. Everything's fine. Well, the I mean, race you guys, isn't it's over. December, it's December 1st, December, January, February. I mean, game on. Race isn't over, but uh, great strides are being made. We'll report back later. Roger, Southside. You're a dog. Always has been. Another right, say, say, Roger, we missed, that. we missed that first part. Say that again, Roger. Another affirmative action, you know, non-working police officer who, you know, doesn't see any problem on his own block, so assumes everything's fine. We're 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 inundated with these people right now. They are talking about you're talking you're you're talking about David you're talking about David Harris. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but I I, listen. I I can't go a hundred percent, and I don't want to generalize. It sounds like the mad Nazi in the morning. Okay. CPD, we are loaded and inundated with the 
affirmative action across the board. Okay, people who were never working, never working or hard charging police officers. It's terrible. Okay, and you know what? Most of these people, okay, who are might be in my age group, 50s, or getting close to retirement, okay, they were brought up in the projects too. Okay, so, and then they got a city job. So, you know what? As long as there's nobody being shot on their block, they assume it's fine. Okay? All of these people have to go. When I say go, go. Get you off from whatever you can and get them out of here. Because, you know what? I mean, here, I, I know guys who were, were in Detroit during the fall. We're probably looking at two to three years here before you have a full-on, full, you know, white flight or flight of good people here who are just going to turn their back on it. You know what I mean? Because there's no way there, there's no way you can keep up with it. You know, the lies and stuff like that. It, it's I, I see this woman getting taken out pretty easy by, by Chewy, though. Of course, I could be wrong if there's that many soft white idiots that will be voting for her. Mm-hmm. But I want you to have a great day. Okay. And Roger, you Roger, for you, you're, you're, you're former Chicago police, right? You're retired Chicago police. Yeah. 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 Thanks yeah. for the call, Roger. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, I, 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 I was on Mike Gallagher's show after our show yes, yeah, yesterday talking, talking about, about Lori Lightfoot because he, you know, if you're not from here, outside perspective, you think that, well, there's no way that she could win reelection. I said, well, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, the fact that she's got 10 opponents speaks to her vulnerability, but it also sort of helps prop her up. It helps make her a favorite to get to the runoff. And then to Roger's point, who's in that runoff and then how does essentially, unfortunately, because it still bedevils the city, how does the racial politics break out and and so forth? Um, but I'm not sure that Chewy's a shoo-in. I know they're going to challenge his yeah, petitions. I'm sure that's well, coming because well, he announced so quickly that. and had to get, you know he brought force for what forty seven thousand signatures in and all that. He's not getting knocked off the ballot, especially if he's got that many. But um, but yeah, the, I, I agree. I don't think that Chewy is a shoo-in. But what's he going to do? He's another clown. Like he's a you know, what's he going to do? I've never heard any ideas from him. Oh, is it going to be any different? No. No, 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 no. Of course it's not going to be any different. Politician? I don't think so. It's not about being a brilliant politician. It is not going to be any different. No, 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 no. No, I mean, right. We're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic when we're talking about the mayor's race. Unless somebody like Paul Vallis gets in there. David Winnetka. Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, as far as the, the safety act itself, who, who do you feel is going to be, uh, how do I say this, the worst affected demographic through the whole thing? In my mind, it's insidious bill to eradicate the black population. Do you, do you feel it that way? To eradicate the black population? Well, I mean, so, I would say because, because it's, it's uh, going to be lower-income neighborhoods that are disproportionately negatively impacted, and those— are disproportionately minority. So, I mean, I, uh, that's the great irony of, of all of the left's identitarian politics is the people they claim always, to, always. to represent are the people that suffer the most. There's no question. Thanks for the call, David. Um, no, but I think, I think uh, the suburbanites, don't you? Cause well, we yeah, have because it here. Exactly. I mean, we, we can go to the beach. You'll see people with electronic monitoring on. 
for yeah, I mean, because of Kim Fox and Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle and Tim Evans, we we have de facto have had the Safety Act since at least 2017, and so, um, right. So so the city of Chicago will just be steady as she goes, you know, steady descent. Uh, it's those places that haven't met all the honor students that Chicago residents have interacted with over the years that are in for a surprise. And again, it's the surprise they asked for. So um, I can wait. January 1 is right around the corner. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of of the morning, Dan and Amy. Calling all ye sentimental barbarians. You know, the the mainly P-hats who... Who spend so, their day look, trying to bring down other people. Who are so, <laughs> so motivated. Yes. Hearts so inflamed over, quote unquote, children in cages during the Trump years. Opposed really started to things in Obama. like the border wall and border enforcement and the existence of ICE, for example. You know, like AOC and the other socialist Spice Girls. Yeah. Including our very own Sean Caston, honorary member of the social and our mayor Coast. and our Cook County Board President. Seems to me that if things get bad enough with a particular public policy problem, then people just sort of just give up and accept it. And that's the border, the lawlessness on the border, the de facto open border. Tara Lee Rodas is a uh, member of the Council of the Inspector General on Integrity and Efficiency. And she's an HHS whistleblower. Fresh off their reinstatement on Twitter, Project Veritas posted this week the culmination of a nine-month investigation into how unaccompanied minors who arrive at our southern border are processed and placed, processed by Border Patrol and 
DHS, placed by HHS. Listen to Tara Lee Rodas's testimony and then take stock of this hell we have unleashed. The tax dollars of people who are listening are paying to put children in the hands of criminals. I said, I need to make you aware. And they said, Tara, we don't get sued by traffickers. A government whistleblower has stepped forward to Project Veritas to detail her harrowing experience at the Department of Health and Human Services. In 2021, this whistleblower volunteered to assist HHS with the placement of unaccompanied minors and was deployed to the Migrant Emergency Intake Site in Pomona, California. There, she witnessed the agency failing these children, as she puts it, doing the work of the cartels on your tax dollars. These vulnerable children, we care for them, we clothe them, we feed them. With your dollars and my dollars, we fly that product directly to the trafficker. God forbid it's sex trafficking. Project Veritas embarked on a nine-month investigation across the country to corroborate our whistleblower's claims. So he attempted to traffic children, and he's still at address in Texas. Yes, we have 44 unaccompanied children at that address. We have 25 unaccompanied children at that address. Project Veritas put boots on the ground, visiting scores of addresses the whistleblower shared from case files she worked on. What we found was shocking. The sponsor can hold up that order of deportation to that child and say, if you do not do what I say, I'm going to call ICE on you myself. I don't believe that this is something that HHS wants people to know. If you're a case manager and you know this information, if you really care about the children being safe, you need to come forward. The uh, exchange you heard in Spanish was somebody talking to a young girl about essentially being trafficked. She was brought to stay uh, with her aunt, quote-unquote aunt. She doesn't even know if it's really her aunt. She was asked. It's just somebody that says she knew this girl from a young age, but she doesn't know, probably not. And she said she left her aunt, in quotes, because her aunt was pipping her out to men for money. So that's what Rodas means, the whistleblower, when she says that we're paying to put children in the hands of criminals. Sex traffickers. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Something else, too, you heard at the outset of this snippet. Uh, her saying, I said to command center executives, we're getting ready to send another child to Austin, Texas. And they said, Tara, I think you need to understand that we only get sued if we keep kids in care too long. We don't get sued by traffickers. Are you clear we don't get sued by traffickers? So they're more focused on covering their ass than caring about the children. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're trafficking then. (laughs) For all of the 
uh, haughty pronouncements about keeping children safe and doing things for the children. And what about the children? And how can you do this to the children, meaning have a secure border? Who is abrogating their responsibility to the children? The people that are moralizing to you about the children. What else is new? But in horrific fashion. And the great thing about this Project Veritas report is it puts human faces on it. You see that little girl that you heard talking in Spanish to one of the uh, reporters. And, um, well, you're sickened by, oh, as I said, this, this hell that we have unleashed on ourselves and other people. You'll tweet it out so you can watch it, too, because you need to see this little girl. It's just it's nobody cares. They, they, as you mentioned, they care about covering their own tracks than helping kids. And it's not just for sex trafficking. It's for labor, too. She was pimping me, and I didn't like that. She would pimp me to men. I just escaped one night. I told her I'm going to the laundromat. Uh, she went to she, the aunt, went to the laundromat and didn't find me there. Later on, she called immigration, and this was the other point that you heard uh, Rhoda say. But for emphasis, uh, we send HHS. We, our government, sending these kids to places because again, we don't get sued by traffickers. And the person has the the order, and so they basically have control over the child that's been oh, sent to them. And gosh. if you don't follow what I say, then I'll turn you into ice, and you'll you'll be turned right back out of this country. I'll call ICE on you myself. Because the, the pimp has to repay the money that the drug cartel or the traffickers. You know what they paid for ten thousand plus dollars. Well, whatever the arrangements are, but right. the, the fact is that the child is a, is uh, is a transaction. In so many of these cases, that's what Terry Lee Rodas, this whistleblower, is saying. I mean, it's one thing to talk about human trafficking in the abstract. It's another thing to understand how it actually works and see and hear from this young girl who's being pimped out by. An adult, uh, facilitated by our government. Marvin in Burlington, Wisconsin. Uh, um, predict, uh, predictably predictable. The last time we had a Democrat uh, administration, they were running guns to the drug cartels. Yeah, right. So, oh, wow. I mean, why is this a big? This isn't a big stretch. I mean, and and here here's another question. I mean, if I miss my taxes or I miss anything, boy, they can find me in a heartbeat through my Social Security number. Where is all the Social Security uh, money going for these deductions if they are taking any? And how come we can't we can't find these people? I mean, Dan, if you don't make a payment, boy, they they're all you'll be all over the newspaper. But it's amazing to me the tools that we have to just sort of forget we have. Not used because it's politically expedient not to. I mean, uh, it's and the employers. I thought we had I nine forms and they had to fill out and and uh, and uh, you know to verify people's uh, citizenship status. It's all very fascinating to me. Well, that's that's the other thing here. Thanks for the call, Marvin. Um, I hope it came across. Um, Tara Lee wrote is saying, you know, we're sending these unaccompanied minors to adults who are also here illegally. Right. 
And um, what kind of verification is done that uh, the ant is actually the ant? Sounds like know. zero to me. I don't know. They're also having others, you know, through this Project Veritas. They had, you could see minors, they were forced to leave school and work 10-hour shifts to pay off, you know, back drug cartel debts. And so if you go on Project Veritas, you can see that too with this little boy and another girl. She works from 2 in the afternoon or 4 in the afternoon till 2 in the morning. And she's 10. That's also a form of trafficking. We, we, we just give up though, right? Am I right about that? It's sort of just like it's just so big. It's so effed up. It's so complicated. There are so many powerfully uh, interested parties that benefit from the way things are. And I'm not even talking about the cartels. I'm talking about like business interests in America that want the free flow of labor here. And, you know, and, and I'm somebody who's like I'm guest worker program. I'm open to that. I'm open to all sorts of ideas. But um, but you can't have we can't have a discussion about any of those things because the power structure as it is won't get serious about the public safety issue associated with an open border. So until you close the border, we can't have an adult conversation because you're not dealing with adults. But but it, it, this is my point. Even something so simple as that permanently removing repeat violent offenders who are in this country illegally. We can't accomplish that. And you want to talk about how we're going to stop all of the other moving parts when it comes to professional operations to traffic people in and out of this country? So you just throw up your hands and say, what can I do about it? I mean, they, they, we've said this before in the context of Chicago and Illinois. Uh, you know, even though there's ample reason for fatalism, just remember fatalism is exactly what that power structure wants. Because if you're fatalistic, if you throw up your hands and I say have, I, ha I can have no impact, there's nothing I or anybody else can do, well then they, you've reduced the amount of pushback they're likely to receive. Fatalism is the establishment power structure's best friend. Craig in Mount Greenwood. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. And thank you for taking my call. Listen, there's nowhere to go with this information about these young girls and everything because our, the people in charge and the politicians, I mean, look what they've done to our public school system. They're trying to pervert all these kids and have them all, uh, you know, like actually uh, have their minds perverted into all this kind of stuff. They could, this is according to plan that they can uh, use these little girls and everything and everything probably little boys, too, and everything, in all these perverted ways and stuff. Our uh, political structure, people in power, are perverts, period. Thanks for the call, Craig. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local, family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. 
So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Time now for another reason why Dan Puff is single. Two words. Yes. Nick Cannon. Yeah. He's a little bit of a, well, I don't know what the word is. Uh, he has uh, announced the, uh, no, the birth of his 17th child. No, I know his birthing. His girlfriend is uh, pregnant with their second child, which will be his twelfth child by six different women. Uh, is he an NBA player? Hi-oh. Yeah, hey. calling Sean Kemp. Um, yeah, but but twelfth so child wh- by six different women. Is he married to any of these ladies? I think no. he wasn't he married to Mariah Carey. Oh yeah, and they have two kids together. They have twins. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I, I don't know. I can't keep track of it. I just like the. Um, the mindset of this uh, present girlfriend. So he comes into a relationship with 10 kids with five different women, and she says... I'm next. That's a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> There's no no red flags here. I, I just... I, you know how I'm... Do you see why I'm struggling I with see, the mentality? I yes. I mean, if... Uh, Am I the one... I'm going to change him, she probably thought. Is that is that the thinking? That's how that works. Help, help yeah. me understand the thinking. Yeah, no. Like, I want to understand the thinking this. of woman number six. He comes in with five and ten, and she says, I want to be six and twelve. <laughs> what What is the thinking? I really, I have no, no honestly, idea. Well, it could be money because child support. She might get some. But I don't know. He's That's getting divvied so up a lot right of different now. ways. I know he makes a lot of money, but. That that could be the reason why, and also the notoriety of it. And you know what he he, he thinks so highly of himself. He wants more of he wants little replicas of him around the world, around but, this country. And so. and and that's so it's that's it's the status and money. Yeah. It's just the same old yeah. story. It's free publicity because you know she'll have the paparazzi follow her for a while. I mean, I I, I have a two, until I, he has baby number thirteen and fourteen and fifteen. I have two more words. Yes, Pete Davidson. What about Pete Davidson? I don't understand that either. What do you mean? I don't understand Funny. the women who go out with Pete Davidson. Oh, yeah, I know. He looks cold and clammy and smelly. Um, but he's funny. But, yeah, I know. I don't get that. I don't get all right. that at all. All right, Four coming- words, Pete Davidson, Nick Cannon, why Dan Proft is single. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. <laughs> This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, Elon, Apple, Apple, China, Biden, China, Biden, Apple, Biden, Elon. Bingo. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. I got um, it. But before we do all of that, yes. 
Uh, let's hear from Shi Van Fleet, because we've heard from her before. She was on um, with Martha McCallum on Fox yesterday talking about what's happening in China and um, expressing some optimism about where these white paper protests may lead. Oh, good. Uh, she if, uh, is a Chinese dissident. She lived through Mao's Cultural Revolution. She basically got the last plane out of Beijing before they shut it down a, a few years ago under zero COVID. Uh, and here's uh, what she has to say about what's happening in China. And it's not COVID that's the virus. One of the triggers for their protest is people watching the World Cup and see a packed stadium, no one wear masks. And they know that this disease and, and this virus is not killing anyone, but uh, uh, it's the uh, uh, Xi Jinping's policy that kill countless uh, Chinese people. And the, the tragedy of people being burned live in buildings because they could not get out, it's locked outside. And the mothers um, and, uh, and lost their baby in front of the hospital because their uh, COVID code is not green. All this tragedy happened and, uh, and people starved to death. And it's not the uh, COVID. It is the policy. It is communism that killed Chinese people. It is communism killing Chinese people. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 646-36DA, turnkey.pro text line. If only we had political leaders, particularly in the Biden administration, that could speak with this, that sort of moral clarity. Uh, she Van Fleet. A couple of years ago, at the height of the revolt in Loudoun County, Virginia, where Miss Fleet lives, the revolt against that school board there that led to the election oh, of Glenn Youngkin. I remember her now. Yeah. Yep. She had this to say to the Loudoun County School Board. When I was in China, I spent my entire school years in the Chinese Cultural Revolution. So I'm very, very familiar with the communist tactics of how they divide people, how they cancel the Chinese traditional culture and destroy our heritage. And all this is happening here in America. Now they are labeling parents and concerned citizens like me as domestic terrorists. What that can do? You may lose your freedom. I do have a question. What's next step? Is the Tiananmen Square crackdown the next? Would the parents one day risk their life just to speak up for their children? That's why I'm here. Communism is killing the Chinese people, and it's also killing American education. Shi uh, Van Fleet offering poignant remarks on both topics over the last year and a half. And we appreciate that. God bless her. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You could always reach out to us via text six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Now contrast that moral clarity from Miss Van Fleet <laughs> to the moral confusion you get from the spokesman for the National Security Council in our federal government. That would be John Kirby. He's back. He was also on with Martha McCallum and. Uh, you know, he, he struggled a bit to, to explain what? the different attitudes the administration holds vis-a-vis -vis Twitter and Apple. 
Take a listen. Uh, we want the individual citizens, uh, no matter what government they live under, to be able to communicate freely and openly, transparently and reliably. Uh, and we've uh, we've made that clear with respect to Iran, and we certainly continue to make that clear here with respect but to have China. You made that now, clear look, to Apple, Apple, <laughs> Apple, Apple's a private company, Martha. They have to make uh, decisions, and uh, they have to speak for those decisions. But but here at the White House, here in the administration, we want to see that that individual citizens, whether they're protesting or not, uh, but in this case, I know that's the context we're talking about are able to communicate freely and openly. But why not say something to Apple? Because we were just told the other day that the White House is keeping an eye on Elon Musk and Twitter. So why yeah. would you say that from the podium? You didn't say it, but Karine Jean-Pierre said it. And not call Apple out for helping the Chinese government to suppress their own people's ability to communicate. Again, I think we've been very clear and consistent on this, uh, certainly publicly. We've been very open about uh, our desires to be able to see citizens communicate. Uh, and, and, you know, Apple, uh, if this is a decision that they're making, then uh, they should have to speak to that. But uh, we, you know, we're not, we can't and we aren't in the business of, of telling private companies how to, to execute uh, their, their initiatives. Yeah, but Twitter's uh, a but private we, company, too. So why is Twitter getting one treatment and Apple's getting another is my question. Well, these are completely two different circumstances. You're talking about the potential. Well, you're talking about the uh, the potential for perhaps uh, foreign investment and involvement uh, in the management of Twitter. That's a different issue than what we're talking about here, which is a business decision by Apple with respect to how one of their uh, applications is being well, utilized. Certainly, those they're are getting influenced issues. by the by a foreign government, but, uh, and that government is China. Uh, are they really two different issues? And by the way, uh, we'll get to Musk. I, you know, he is not without complication and potential conflict when it comes to China because of the relationship he has with the Chicoms and vis-a-vis -vis Tesla. Uh, but um, but are, are they really too different? I mean, a business investment, a, a essentially a business relationship with the Chinese government. Well, well the protests are happening at Foxconn, right. the, the largest contract manufacturer in the world that – makes most of the iPhones. What are you talking about? 40% of the people left. And what they're doing, the government, Chinese government, is going into their apartments and throwing their stuff out the windows. I'll tweet the, it out where you can see it. And then they're hopping over fences just to escape because they didn't want to be locked down in the factory. Because if yeah, one the, person tests positive, yeah, they lock everybody down. Yeah, but the question is the relationships. Apple, Musk, China, the United States. Let's talk about the power players. We understand the protesters and why they're protesting right. and why they should be. They let's talk about the, let's talk about let's talk about the shot callers here. It would have been interesting if Martha McCallum or somebody would ask John Kirby if he agrees with what Gordon Chang said on our show yesterday that Tim Cook will be recorded in history like uh, Tom Watson from IBM was recorded in history. Watson, who uh, provided, you know, as CEO of IBM, strategic technology services to the Third Reich. It, I mean, that was a statement Gordon Chang made. Right, I know. I was, yeah. And, it's a profound um, statement. <laughs> I mean, it's well, serious stuff. Uh, Karine Jean-Pierre oh had uh, this exchange with Peter Ducey, sort of on the same topic of the keeping an eye on Twitter versus taking a, a three blind mice approach to Apple. 
When are you guys going to delete the White House Twitter account? Why would we do that? Well, you're saying that you're keeping an eye on Twitter because it might not be a suitable platform, so why use it? Look, I want to be very clear here. The President has always said, and he has been very, very uh, clear in his belief that it is important of social media platforms to continue to take steps to reduce hate speech and misinformation. And he will continue to say that. Uh, but media platforms make independent choices about their information uh, that they present. And so, uh, look. I right. They make independent choices about their platform. Uh, Right. Uh, and especially when they're getting calls from the federal government saying, take this down, take that down. Did you see this? Did you see that? What we know from the communiques between Facebook and Twitter and the regime. Right, KJP? And and again, it's a problematic platform. Why would we take it down? Well, you know, to provide leadership, by example. Well... Uh, this is about hate speech. Everything just, you know, they just pivot ham-handedly, so obviously, back to hate speech, hate speech, hate speech. They're all about love, and all they're trying to do is combat hate. You know, for the kids, right, so to save our democracy. Children, yeah. And it was interesting, one of the uh, propagandists they chose to trot out yesterday for the cable shows, Virginia Senator Mark Warner. Oh and uh, he's he, still driving he's, around his minivan. He Mar Mark Warner has a minivan. Uh, no. Who he does? He drives around in a minivan. <laughs> Forget it. It's an inside joke. Um, Mark Warner um, a, trying to turn this issue about Apple and, for example, disabling their um, uh, the, the features that allow iPhone users to communicate with one another into. Uh, a concern about Elon Musk's relationship with China, which I said there's some merit to, but the question is about Apple, and he wants to talk about Elon Musk, which shows that sort of indicates that he's there for a purpose, and it's to try to muddy the waters. But I've been pointing out for some time that if you look at Mr. Musk, and I have great respect for his entrepreneurship, you know, we do a lot of business with SpaceX, uh, the United States government. Um, what I'm concerned with is that Mr. Musk, and you, if you go back to his comments over the last couple of years, has been totally complimentary of the Communist Party, totally complimentary of the Chinese regulators, basically kind of stuck it to any kind of American regulator. He's got that right, but what I'm concerned about, and I would hope you would be as well, if he is so dependent upon the Communist Party, and I'm not as concerned about what he does or doesn't do with Donald Trump on Twitter, I'm concerned if suddenly the Communist Party says, you know, we don't want Twitter traffic, that uh, uh, defames Xi Jinping. Or right, but you're not concerned about uh, Tim Cook taking marching orders from the Chinese Communists. You're not concerned uh, about Larry and Sergey over at Google taking marching orders from the Chai Coms. Uh, it's fine to fold Musk in. Nobody's beyond reproach. And he said positive things about the Chinese regime in the area of like digitization because... He has, I mean, because of Tesla production there. So I, I agree. There are some concerns about Elon Musk. He, Elon Musk is no unalloyed hero. He doesn't come to the table with clean hands on any of this, which is why from the beginning I've cautioned about the uh, statuizing Elon Musk just because he shares some of the same opponents that uh, 
free-minded people share also have. So just let's be careful here. Let's, you know, follow what people do, not just what they pronounce. Well, don't you like what he's done so far? I mean, I don't see Elon Musk as a villain in this. I think he's freeing people's voices so he could have free speech on a social media platform. And if it wasn't for Twitter, how would we know what's going on in China? That's all the, the information we seem to be getting is from people that are tweeting out the protests. Yeah, information has a way of getting out. But, um, yeah, I I understand the positive things that Musk has said. I didn't say there were no positive things. What did I say? He's not an unalloyed hero. That's not the same thing as saying villain. And his relationship with the Chinese communists per Tesla is something that is an issue. It presents a conflict. It presents an area where he could potentially be compromised. So it's a completely fair issue to raise. But it's not fair to raise that just for the purpose of misdirecting people's attention away from Apple and Google and others, which is Disney, the NBA, etc., which is what Mark Warner is doing. That's the distinction. Mark Warner also tried to explain away the mealy-mouthed rhetoric you're getting from the Biden administration in the direction of the Chinese communists the lack of a full-throated offering of support to the protesters. This, uh, the administration, particularly after the most recent meeting between Xi and Biden, um, to try to have lower some of the tensions. This is a, we don't want a, um, an active conflict to erupt. Um, I think those of us in the Congress have a little more freedom, and I think we can push the administration. But as you said, we don't want to feed the propaganda machinery that turns these protests driven by Chinese people into mm-hmm. what the overall message would be to the Chinese people. And remember, that's why I talk about the technology. The TikTok, for example, that the Chinese people receive is very different than the TikTok that we receive for, uh, as one case. The Chinese social media companies that are completely owe their allegiance by law to the Communist Party, not their mm-hmm. shareholders. So if they are able to portray this as kind of an anti-Chinese or... Um, yeah. Western uh, plot that undermines the very protesters that we're trying to stand be, stand with. Yeah, that is just pablum, absolute pablum, to cover cowardice, or worse, complicitness with, uh, with with Chinese communists for perhaps financial reasons. Hunter Biden and Biden Inc. Oh, we, oh, we don't want to advance the notion that the Chinese communists are putting out their agitprop that this is a Western plot. Well, they're going to do it anyway. So rather than worrying about what a bunch of propagandists are going to say, why don't you worry about what you say? Why don't you worry about what we represent to the world? As opposed to, say, oh, we're going you know, we're, we're to be, you know, this is complicated diplomacy, and we need to be very careful about every article we choose in the statements that we put out. Uh, that wasn't Reagan's approach, was it? Which approach is more compelling? Which approach can reconfirms that America is the beacon of freedom in the world? That we're a country that speaks with moral clarity when it comes to human rights abuses, when it comes to tyrannical regimes, when it comes to our own national security. Oh, but we have to be, we have to couch it just so because we don't want. Yeah. 
That's propaganda, what you're hearing from Mark Warner. That's just a cover story for cowardice. And we should be very familiar with it in Illinois because we get cover stories for cowardice all the time, mostly from the Republican Party here. We have more latitude than the administration to speak to the protesters. No. Uh Uh-uh. Brad in the West Loop, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, you know, uh, good morning, folks. I'm listening to Kirby and KJP. It's the new gaslighting. Uh, They always say, you know, we've been clear and consistent on this. Yeah, right. And we've always been clear when the exact opposite is true. What the heck? Yeah, no. uh, the, The let me be clear, you know you're about to be lied to. That's the that's the the tell. Let me be clear. Okay, let me have it. Here it comes. A 180. Or as you say, just a, you know, complete fabrication. They don't even bother with the 180. Uh, Dominic Palos Park. Come on, Dan and Amy. I was just wondering, I wanted to get your opinion. You believe that the government getting involved with Twitter and Apple, telling them what they can and can't say, what they can and can't do, is towing a very thin line and can open up the door to more government and more involvement and bigger problems. Thanks, guys. You have a blessed day. Thanks for the call, Dominic. Yeah, and yeah, the question is, so. <laughs> who's telling who? Or is anybody telling anybody? In other words, when you have people that are like-minded, do you really need to tell them what to do? We have our power. We have our role. You have your power. You have your role. Everybody should do what they're going to do. You know, did uh, did uh, old man Daly have to tell people what to do? No. If you signed on to the administration and you were in a particular position, you knew what that position entailed. We're not, you know, nobody's naive here, particularly at that level. So, yeah, I think the, you know, which what the nature of the communications are, it's useful because it confirms, as I was mentioning, the FBI going to uh, Facebook and Twitter. So did you see this? Did you see that? Yo, this is concerning to us, and that's concerning to us. Yeah, okay. Well, we get it. You don't need to, you know, spell it out for us. I got it. Um, but it's it's the more general collaboration, and as many people have pointed out, and for some time, including us, the outsourcing of things the government can't do to private entities that essentially are similarly if not more powerful than the government in some respects to do unconstitutional things or to do what would be unconstitutional things if the government did that, speaking about people's right to express themselves. You know, the imposition of punishment for thought and speech crimes being outsourced to big tech. Government can't get away with it, not yet. Big tech can and then they do what you heard from John Kirby. Hey, 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 these are private companies. You know, we don't have any we don't talk to private companies. We don't influence the decisions of private companies. Oh, really? I mean, that's that's all Leviathan does every freaking day is insinuate itself into the private lives and private business affairs of private citizens. That's what they do every day, every single agency. Oh, hey, Apple's a private company. We have, you know, that's their decision. Yeah, right. I mean, look at the Hunter Biden story. That was pulled before the election. 
Right, and and uh, that's Elon a great Musk. example of every you know everything that's wrong. And Elon Musk, to his credit, on some of what he's yep. providing to the public for consumption about the machinations of Twitter before his arrival, he's supposed to provide more information about the spiking of that story. I can't wait. But he came out and said Twitter has interfered in elections, failed in trust and safety for a very long time. That is what he said. Frank in Arlington Heights. Hey, good morning. You know, there's a very good book um, by Daniel Jurgen called The Commanding Heights. And it's about the economy over the 20th century into the 21st century, written in the late 90s, I think. And The Commanding Heights, that phrase, came from Lenin, I believe. And he was talking about, he was, he was going after his critics when he did the new economic policy, which was where after war communism failed in 1920-21, he let small businesses exist. And they says, what are you doing? You're letting capitalism go in. He says, don't worry. We're going to control the commanding heights of the right. economy. And, um, and energy. In our, in, our, in our world, it would be energy, technology. Right. Exactly. Correct. Banking. Exactly. Right. And, yeah, and Larry Summers, in that, in that film, they made a film on it. I've shown it to my econ class many, many times. He basically says, in effect, that progressivism had failed in the last 20 years at that point, which had been the 80s and 90s. Um, because they were fighting markets too much. He says what we have to do is use markets for progressive ends. And that's exactly what they've been doing the last 20 years. They've adapted. Big tech is what is the commanding heights. They're using those technological markets for progressive ends, no doubt about it. Yeah, that's a good, uh, good reference. Thanks for the call, Frank. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing... This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka, today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, uh, Charlemagne the God, small g, is a radio talk show host in New York. Got a bit of a following. You remember him. He's made some news with uh, guests he's had on the show, like when he had oh, Kamala Harris on right. and she giggled about her alleged marijuana use, where she used to smoke marijuana listening to rappers who weren't around when she said she used to smoke marijuana. Exactly. That fa- another fabrication in law, yes. She's so down with it, you know? Yeah. That's what she was trying to be, just like everybody else, just like me and you. And then she got the giggles because she's a bad girl. (laughs) I did something wrong. Uh, Charlemagne the God um, gave an interview to um, Fox Digital talking about the uh, uh, trans issue, particularly with respect to minors. And apparently, uh, unbeknownst to me until I saw this interview, Mm -hmm. uh, he's been accused of being transphobic for wanting to have a conversation about the propriety of things like puberty blockers and gender reassignment surgery for minors. And so he addressed the claim that that wanting to have a conversation about that, expressing some concerns about that with respect to minors, is transphobic. Take a listen. I think it's a legitimate debate to be had. And that's it's the things like that bother me because it's like, yo, we're not even allowing ourselves to have the conversation. Like you're just putting these labels on people. Like I'm transphobic. Cause I feel like I'm, you know, just using a little common sense here to your point. You know, there's just certain things minors cannot do because they're minors. So you don't think something as big as changing your gender. 
shouldn't you know wait until you're at least 18 like I, that's just that's just like the, the fact that people can't even have a conversation about that without labeling somebody transphobic is very 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 strange to me because I, I, it's not like you it's not like these people are saying no we don't want anybody transitioning you know our 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 uh, being trans is wrong. They're simply saying, hey, let these minors wait until they're of a certain age. That's not where I think that's very worthy of a conversation. And I think that you're cheating those those kids by not having the conversation. Like you're just shutting things down. Like, let's all come to the table and and talk about it and, and, and discuss these things. I think it I think it definitely warrants a conversation. You shouldn't just label somebody transphobic because they're saying, hey, man, I think that this is a big decision for a kid to make and maybe they should wait until they're older. Like, I, that's just common sense to me, but, you know, who, who am I? Mm, who are any of us? Common sense went out the window a long time ago, Charlemagne. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Yeah, yeah, you're not really allowed to ask questions. You're only allowed to celebrate you're only allowed to get on the party bus and promote the zeitgeist in the direction of all things trans all the time on their terms. And by there, I certainly would include minors because they do. Well, to Charlemagne's point, another just I don't know what we do. Stats don't seem to impress anybody. So we try to tell stories. Here's another story of a woman who is detransitioning after a dalliance with trying to reinvent herself as a man and uh, her perspective specifically on the point that Charlemagne the god was making as to minors and as you'll hear from her she was not a minor when she began to pursue transitioning okay but she has perspective on minors who do what is up? Okay, my name is Maddie, and I sound like a dude, but I'm not. Um, see, so I transitioned for a few years, and I've been off hormones slash detransitioning for a couple of years. Here's the deal. When I went to transition, I had to go to counseling to get a letter of, letter of referral to a doctor. The doctor wouldn't see me without that. But I only had to go to, like, two sessions before this, uh counselor was like yeah you have gender dysphoria let's you need to be treated by a doctor let's get you this note she wrote me the letter of recommendation I took it to a, do a doctor and this doctor prescribed me testosterone on the first visit now I'm not crying and blaming them for my decisions because I was a legal adult I was a I was a legal adult when I made these decisions I knew that my voice would be permanently altered I knew that I would permanently grow facial hair, which I still do. You can't really see it right now because I pluck my face. Literally, these tweezers are in my car all the time because on my brakes, I pluck my face. Anyways, like um, I was a legal adult when I made these decisions. But now, my issue with this is that they're allowing these things to happen to children. Children who can't drive. Children who are not old enough to buy alcohol because their brains aren't, like, they're not mature enough to do that. Kids who aren't mature enough to apparently buy nicotine, according to the law. Like, they can't buy nicotine. They can't get it. They can't get a tattoo without 
parental consent because that's a permanent thing on your body that you don't like you mentally you don't understand that it's going to be forever like <laughs> and here's the thing if this would have been as much of a push like for the transgender issue whenever I was a kid I would have been one of those kids I would have been on because I didn't know what transgender was whenever I was that age but if I would have I would have been on puberty blockers because I did not feel like a girl I felt like a boy I did all the boy things I did not feel like I was supposed to be a girl I never pictured myself as a woman like in like at my wedding day I pictured myself as the guy I never pictured myself as a mom I pictured myself as the dad like as a kid as a kid doing pl like playtime or whatever I would either be the dad in the situation or I would be the depressed uh depressed daughter right which it was sad anyways um but i can't get over this like they're they can't make these decisions folks guys they can't they're babies they're children they can't drive they can't smoke they can't drink they can't like they can't get a tattoo like this is insane why are we allowing this to happen to children i would have been so much further along in my transition before like if I would have started that young and I, I'm detransitioning so that would not have worked out the way that I thought it would work out whenever I was that age you know what I hear there what transphobia three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in da then a quick comma it's true I mean my son wants to get a tattoo like you can't but if he wanted to get to transition he can't can't get your ears pierced, drink or smoke or any of that, but you can get a transition surgery. Please make that make sense. And also, too, what does that say about those mental health professionals this woman, this young woman, spoke with, even as an adult, as she said, Two. who signed off on, let's get the testosterone treatments going. Um, where is she now? Well, after just two counseling sessions, you used to have to go through an entire year of counseling sessions before anybody would touch your body. So, 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 I mean, does this give parents pause when, I mean, I, I think her story is particularly interesting because sort of the, the story of like, well, growing up and I always saw myself in the man role. If it was a wedding, if I right. imagine my wedding, I was the groom. If it was a family, I was the dad and I did boy things and so on and so forth. And then what happened I mean, she's still a young woman. So she must have been 18, 19, 20 when she decided to do this, as she said, for a couple of years. She looks like she's in her 20s still. Um, but now where is she? So for those who just like a kid makes some statements in the direction of, of, of the other gender, the other sex, and you want to rush headlong to the doctor to start a, him or her on drugs and surgeries. I, I I hope people this story is particularly interesting to me because not only her perspective on minors and where she would have been as a minor if the social contagion then was as pronounced as it is now, but also what it says about the medical establishment that would move her along that quickly. And where do we find her a couple of years later? And so the referral letters because that's one of the arguments you hear. Oh, uh, you but you have to get parents' permission, and you have to get a referral letter. So there's these safeguards, they would argue. 
but how safe are those safeguards when there is so much money at stake and so much and, and so much of this is hopelessly political? Take a listen to Dr. Nicole Melahopoulos, uh, Mil- University of Utah. Yeah. University of Utah, yeah, Dr. Melahopoulos. Beautiful. And then Jessica Robnett is a psychologist who um, started working with us a year ago. And she, she is not there to be able to provide ongoing, every week, mental health services, but to provide a second evaluation when that's appropriate. So some kids who are seeking top or bottom surgery need a different letter of support from a mental health provider. She's there to help provide that. Um, she's also there if we need kind of a crisis evaluation because some kids just have a really hard time with puberty. And so we want to make sure that we're supporting them psychologically very well. Well, it sounds so therapeutic, except if you read between the lines, she's not there to provide ongoing medical uh, mental health treatment. She's there to rubber stamp the letters you need to move the process along. That's that's how I interpret what she said. And we're seeing this all over the place, as we've documented on this show, thanks to the work of people like Matt Walsh and many others. Uh, Vanderbilt University, and they shut it down. University of Wisconsin, Seattle Children's Hospital. Uh, Listen to this. At uh, Children's Wisconsin, which is a premier pediatric hospital, there's uh, reports about the politics of the chaplains that are used to interface with kids. One of them, for example, a chaplain at Children's Wisconsin Pediatric Hospital, Kate Neuendorp. She's a chaplain desiring to shake things up who says she's daydreaming about a time where God isn't referred to with male pronouns. Uh, Looking at her social media, uh, I mean, it's all LGBTQ+, abortion is religious freedom, she's pro-transgender surgeries. So you get a little sense that what's going on here has very little to do with the actual individual kids or even young adults and much more to do with politics and money. I hope that the story you heard from that young woman is gets passed on, passed around. I mean, it's a great testimonial. And they say, it, what, it's going to be a 30 or $5 billion business by 2030? Right. Listen to the detransitioners. At least consider what they're saying. Right. Ralph and Rantoul. Yeah, good morning. I know that uh, – good morning, Dan and Amy. I know that you two are uh, on the correct side of this issue, as are many of us out here. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how much uh, good it will do, but I'm going to try anyway. I mean, I don't even like using their lexicon – First of all, you and I and reasonable people know that it is impossible to transition right. one sex. Right. So y- you can do all kinds of mutilations. You can't surgery, change XX and XY, right? Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And I think that uh, you're you're hitting it on the head. This is part of a huge, huge effort that's been going on for a long time: the destruction of the family, the rejection of God. Um, you know, you talk about Alexander Solzhenitsyn's The Gulag Archipelago, so I thought, you know, it's a couple of door stops. I'm going to give this thing a read. Um, 
Zelensky says it, Dostoevsky says it, like in about page 600 of the Brothers Karamazov, Mm -hmm. without God, right, all things are possible, meaning your depravity is, is unhinged if you don't have that central moral view. That's what we're seeing. Just, this is just another facet of the all-out assault on humanity, and we're right in the thick of it. Thanks for the call, Ralph. And, you know, uh, speaking of uh, those chaplains up at uh, at least that one that w- I just mentioned up at Children's Wisconsin, Kate I mean, they're Wilson. corrupting religion, too, which they need to do. That's part of it as well. Yeah, she said she dreams of a time when God isn't referred to with male pronouns. A university and that abortion Cam- is a religious freedom. A University of Cambridge dean claimed in a homily uh, at uh, uh, well in chapel right across the pond, Cambridge University, University of Cambridge, that uh, Jesus Christ could have been transgender. The evidence. Yeah, what's the evidence on that? The um, long hair? I don't know what. What do you got? There's um, some artwork from 600 years ago that uh, portrays uh, Jesus with the um, the wound in his side um, and blood dripping down his chest to his groin area, and the groin looks, you know, like a Ken doll. They didn't didn't make a pronounced penis. And so... It might have had a loincloth over it, but okay, yeah. There's no Uh loincloth. So so if you don't make the pronounced genitalia, if you don't make it pronounced in the painting, probably Jesus was transgender. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the level of intellectual heft you're dealing with. With these political activists, these sentimental barbarians. But but to Ralph and Rantoul's point, they have a point. They have a mission. They're on it. John in Naperville. Yeah, two quick points. For all those parents that have to fill out FAFSA, you probably are frustrated that they tie your finances to your child until they're 25, but yet a 12-year-old can make a decision to get a penis lopped off. And to piggyback off Ralph, I no longer refer to them as trans people. I refer to them as chemically and surgically altered people. Thanks for the call, John. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So how about that? SBF showed up to that uh, New York Times confab of vainglorious douchebags. He's got some stones on him. Wow. He says he's got, he says he's got, uh, he's only got $100,000 left. Oh, poor baby. Is he going to be okay? Should we start a GoFundMe for him? Why does he have $100,000 left? That should be confiscated and immediately distributed to somebody. Um, Yeah. Great piece by uh, Dan Henninger in the Wall Street Journal about, this mindset, this effective altruist mindset, this uh, he uh, places more credence in it than I do. But his um, 
review of SBF and others like him is uh, on point nonetheless. <laughs> he writes the, about um, Sam Bankman fried before the crash. He wanted to prevent nuclear war and stop future pandemics. <laughs> uh, that's cute. The, the no, level, that's really cute. It is. The level of delusion, right? I'm going to spend all my time giving my money away. I want to stop nuclear war and prevent pandemics. And, Good for you. And here's the point. Um, it's same thing with Elon Musk, though, too, um, who was uh, not Elon Musk in this context. Elon Musk pursued a Twitter. Freed's uh, mentor, Sam Bankman Freed's mentor, this guy, Will McCaskill, texted Musk on behalf of SBF, who said that SBF for a while has been potentially interested in purchasing Twitter and then making it better for the world. So after he's done stopping or maybe concurrent, he's going to end nuclear war. He's going to stop pandemics and he's going to make Twitter better for the world. And Henninger writes, and that's the telling point here, not to make the social media platform better, but make it better for the world. There was a time when people engaged in doing good addressed problems that, so to speak, you could get your arms around, such as improving school performance, providing potable water, preventing malaria. But at some point, the impulse to do good transformed into a combination of moral tenditiousness and grandiosity. Remember Save the Whales? That morphed into Save the Planet. Don't blame SBF's generation entirely for its credulousness. Uh, for example, the Ford Foundation, the homepage of the Ford Foundation, we're building a world where everyone has the power to shape their lives. Oh, so inspiring. It's like so hug a tree. It is so vacuous. And that was on display with SBF yesterday where he was uh, offering his review of what happened. But, of course, being an effective altruist and being a good person, he never meant to defraud anyone. And even even if you take him at his word, which I don't necessarily, but even if you do, I didn't mean to defraud anyone. Well, you engaged in recklessly uh, irresponsible conduct. That was not fully disclosed to people who placed their money with you and thus their trust in you. And as a result, uh, I suspect a lot of people are ruined. I mean, that's to some extent their own folly as well if they placed all their uh, eggs in that basket. But nonetheless, you know, you can not intend to do bad. You can intend to do good and do bad nonetheless through reckless conduct. Your intentions not as bad, not as important as your performance, your behavior, as we try to remind people. But it's more, getting more and more difficult to make that distinction. It seems. For more on this, as well as some chalk talk on the markets, after uh, speaking of uh, moral vanity, after Jay Powell's pronouncements yesterday, please be joined again by our friend Scott the Cow Guy Shelley. Market specialist for Market Day Report, 10.30 Central Time to 1 p.m. And uh, the Cow Guy Close as well on uh, Market Day, on uh, uh, RFD TV. That's at 1 to 1.30 Chicago time. RFD TV, both the Market Day Report as well as the Cow Guy Close. The Cow Guy Close at 1 p.m. on RFD TV. Scott the Cow Guy, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, good morning. As we've had uh, a few weeks now to digest the collapse of FTX uh, 
and and again now he's in public against apparently against advice of lawyers i'm sure it was uh talking about what happened from his perspective what's your review well, I mean, he, I feel like he's almost taunting people. Um, you know, number one, I agree with you that um, it doesn't matter if he meant to defraud, um, you know, because drunk drivers don't mean to kill people. I mean, it's just you, you engage in, in behavior that you ultimately have to be held accountable for. And whether you meant to or not, there's still some unintended uh, consequences and, and you have to pay a price. There's no such thing as not having any responsibility. So regardless of his intentions, there still is a price to be paid, and it's a very hefty one. Uh, I think, as I, I, don't, I don't agree with Mark Cuban all the time on a lot of things, but he's one that definitely said that this person should be readying themselves for a long time behind bars. I mean, I'm shocked that it hasn't even started yet. I mean, can you imagine had it been somebody on the other side of the aisle in, in the Bahamas doing this? I mean, how quickly would they have him uh, in shackles up uh, uh, on our own shores? It, it's... it's uh, that that's another thing. Now you 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 mentioned some other eye rolling issues about this. Uh, we're going to save the whales kind of thing. This with this this age group's got and you know I get it happens to me all the time. Um, you know a good a good instance of this is uh, that beyond me when, when when I hear about things that I think are are fads, right? I you know I'm, I'm right now I'm still not sold on Bitcoin. I, I I never traded it. I've never bought it. I've never put a customer in it. I've never put a customer in any of those types of things because I'm not quite sure it's still not a fad yet, okay? Um, and when these people get this enormous, the enormity of the wealth that they acquire with something that I'm still not sure is not a fad, I run from, right? And if you've taken a look at, say, what Bitcoin has done this year as far as price, or you've taken a look at the stock of Beyond Meat, what that's done this, ter- this year in terms of price, I mean, so far, I, I've been vindicated. Now, maybe at some point in time, they, they turn around and, Everybody suddenly um, gets rid of uh, real protein and wants to eat fake protein. I don't know, but to, to, in my heart of hearts, in my stomach, which really relies, you know, I rely on my on that for most of my decision making. This is this is like a house of cards, and, and you can't really tell me that it's a, a, an investment strategy when only I'm only investing in it because I believe the guy behind me in line is going to pay more for the investment than I'm going to. Um, and that's how this is, house of cards has been built up. There's nothing. There's no substance, and I, I would agree. Um, with uh, you know the eye rolls that uh, this this age group there, there's there's not a lot of substance behind a lot of these ideas and I think that's uh, a core issue. I mean, sometimes it's just you got to roll up your sleeves and do the work, right? Well, he owes 3.1 billion dollars, and all of it as assets have seemed to have disappeared. Why do you think American authorities haven't moved in on him and his you know undisclosed location in the Bahamas? Well, I think the, the headline story is well, because he gave so much money to the Democrats, but I know he gave a lot of money to the Republicans through dark money pools. Um, he didn't want to be seen to be doing that. But that's what everybody's going to think. I think that's, I think Washington is so screwed up, they're not quite sure what Bitcoin is. Is it something to be, you know, is it, is, is it regulated as a, a security or is it regulated as a commodity? And those two folks are fighting over who's got jurisdiction. I think probably there's a lot of it, you know, that's going on more than anything else. So, when they figure out who, which police officer gets to throw the cuffs on, I think that'll happen then. I just hope that uh, Tom and Giselle, Larry, David, I hope they're okay. That's that's my <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, out of this. they could they could uh, they could come into under some scrutiny. I mean, they're you know they might have to give like it matters, but they might have to give back everything that they've gotten out of the deal. Some of them did it just for a piece of the company, and I wonder if that puts them, you know, liable. Uh, all right, let's turn to uh, the market's reaction to Jay Powell's comments yesterday that it's time to 
moderate those rate increases. Great news for the market. We're going to get back to devaluing the dollar. <laughs> you, you, right? It's like, boy, if I've ever seen a bunch of people whistle by the graveyard, yesterday was one of them. I mean, look, I'm not doom and gloom. I get called that a lot. But I just, you know, like I said, if we're going over this cliff in the car, I'm not going to talk about the, the view on the way down. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen when we get there. <laughs> and, and here's the problem. We had a high of inflation of 9.1% this year. We're now down to 77 So we've taken – the good news is, and the market you know, likes this, that the trajectory is going in the right direction. We've taken 1.4% of inflation off of the top, right? We're going in the right direction. But it took us six rate hikes to get there. And they're still banging on about this 2% mandate that the, 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 the Fed's put in there. That's where they want inflation to be at 2%. So we've got another 5.7% to take off of the inflation rate. How many rate hikes is that going to take? Now, John Williams, the chairman of the, the, the Fed president of New York, New York Fed president, said that he thinks that we're going to definitely be dealing with inflation in the year 2024. I would absolutely second that. This is not going to go away. It's going to take a while. And it's going to be stubborn because, you know, we have a guy that you know, Jim Urio, is on my show a lot. And I talked to him the other day about, hey, I know that you had to raise prices in your restaurant because we've had commodities go through the roof, right? They've now abated a little bit, but still, everything's got a lot more expensive. Just go to, uh, you know, to uh, Jewel or, or, or Dominic's. But even if those prices do come off, he can't lower his prices because he's had, he's had to raise his labor costs so much. He's had a three minimum wage rate, you know, raises as well as just the market pressures that he's had to you know, put up with to get people in the door because he's been in competition with his government to get people off of mom's couch in the basement to come work for him, right? So his costs are sticky. They're not coming down like people think they're going to come down. So we're going to be dealing with inflation a lot longer than folks think, and they've got, you know they've been lulled to sleep to think that this is going to be short term, and they, they can give themselves a bridge loan because we've seen savings absolutely plummet, we've seen credit card usage absolutely skyrocket, and that's just from mom and pop thinking that this is going to be a short term thing and they can get through it, but they're not. It's, it's that's not going to be the case. So with inflation going from nine point one to seven point seven percent, we're not going to see any difference in the grocery aisles, right? No, not no, 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 hardly at all. That'll never because that's just not. Those prices will come down a tad, maybe, but not noticeably. And and it's going to take a lot more than just 1.4 percent. I mean, are you going to notice 1.4 percent off your grocery bill if you're paying, you know, 4.50 instead of 2.50? I mean, our grocery bill, you know, once every other week was 2.50. Now it's 400, 4.50. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's almost doubled. And so yesterday, everybody got really excited about him slowing the pace of his rate hikes. But you have to remind yourself they're still going to get to 2 percent. And it's going to be two percent or bust, and it looks like to me they've chosen bust. Well, wait a second. Uh, we got a bull market now. <laughs> Everybody in. <laughs> That's what I heard right. yesterday. No, right. exactly right. A I think we came out of bear market. territory. Yeah, we came out of bear territory yesterday. It's all good, right? Yeah. I mean, I, it, look, I, I said this at that conference we were at. This was a four presidential term problem the last time we had it. You know, it, it was Nixon. Then Ford, then Carter, then finally Reagan got a, got a hold of it. Now technology speeds everything up. I don't think it's going to take that long this time around, but it's going to be 12 months. I mean, it took us this year to get off 1.4 percent. Well, yeah, all the investotainment commentators yesterday, um, you know, uh, the the enthusiasm they were displaying, and yet at the same time, on the same day yesterday, City's chief economist said. Uh, the glo- I'm quoting him, the global economy is likely to endure rolling country-level recessions during the coming year, and that includes the United States by mid-2023, according to their estimate. Now, that's just one big bank's estimate, but nonetheless, um, th- those sort of uh, predictions don't seem, don't seem to have uh, much of a dampening effect. Well, no, I mean, yesterday we also got some, I mean, look, 
we had the Chicago Purchasing Managers Index came out yesterday at a 55-year low. That's a survey of purchasing managers, what they think is going to be going on. A 55-year low. We had housing starts yesterday come out the lowest ever. So, I mean, I don't know what these people are. The only, the only thing that people hang their hat on right now is jobs. When and if that finally rolls over, and, I, and I'm almost positive it will, then we're going to have a stagflationary problem on our hands. And that's when people wake up to the fact that this ain't going to right. This is not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, DoorDash announced yesterday they're cutting 1,200 jobs. And that's on top in of the first, all the other you know, companies in the that first announced two weeks, cuts. The first two weeks of November, mm-hmm. we shed 31,200 jobs in the tech sector alone. Now, had that been just a whole month of job losses, it would have been the worst month the tech sector has had shedding jobs since September of 2015, and we did it in two two weeks. Folks, you can ignore this all you want, but we're just putting perfume over a, a really smelly problem. And the market yesterday just shows you how badly people wanted to go up, but that was a fool's errand yesterday. I mean, this is they're they're whistling by the graveyard. Scott, the cow guy, Shelley, market specialist for Market Day Report, 10.30 to 1 p.m. Chicago time. And the cow guy closed 1 to 1.30 p.m. Chicago time on RFD TV. Scott, the cow guy, thanks as always, man. All right, man, see you. Thanks. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. They got the beat, the campus beat, the campus beat. Yeah, the campus beat. Yeah, campus beat takes us to University of California, San Diego. San Diego. Yes. You know what it means. For uh, Maker Man. It means <laughs> what? Uh, whale's vagina. Is yeah. that, isn't that the translation? Yeah, very good. Thank See, you. I knew some movie trivia and you knew it right back. Very good. Thank you. Uh, Chandler Purity has a philosophy in her classroom. This was uh, posted uh, last semester. She no longer teaches at University of California, San Diego, but you can be sure her philosophy lives on, philosophy of instruction. Well, here's that philosophy. What's up, y'all? Dr. Purity here, and I'm going to talk to you a bit about how to decolonize a classroom and how I decolonize my teaching. So first things first, we do not grade over here, okay? Anyone who takes my class automatically gets an A. They're told in the first week that they're going to get an A. The only thing that's required is attendance. And I have weeks of um, excused absences built in so that if people are sick or they have family obligations, it won't affect their grade. So since I'm not grading them, I'm just giving them A's. Like, how do I know that they're doing anything? And how do I know that... Um, they're learning anything. Uh, And so I also don't give homework. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Uh, And I run a discussion style classroom. So um, my students and I have equal part when it comes to bringing information to the table. Um, We all sit together and share what we're talking about. uh, And they get to use their critical thinking skills to apply the things they've learned in all their other classes. Don't you wish you would have come up with this argument when you were in school? A, teach. How about we decolonize the classroom and everybody gets an A? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Has uh, Peyton run into any decolonizers Um, at Georgia Tech yet? No, I probably think that he wished that he would because he's up to his, you know, eyeballs and homework. And it's it's a tough struggle. But they would never do something like this because, you know, you can't mess around with engineering people's lives. 
depend on it. Oh, but really? This, this sounds like oh, I mean, this sounds like romper room or you know, or a play date or you know, a counseling session. No, I think it's great. I mean, the teach uh, learns as much from the kids as they learn from her. Maybe she learns more. Uh huh. You say uh, people's lives. Oh yeah. Well, because they're engineers, structural engineer. You know, you yeah. don't want to make. You know, you don't want to skim the corners on stuff like that. Same with med school. You know, you don't. You want your doctor to not have a professor like this yeah. to just pass everybody to pass and not give homework. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because um, you know what class uh, Chandler Purity taught at UC San Diego? Oh my God, what? Biology. Ooh. Everybody gets an A. In biology? <laughs> I thought you were going to say English or or women's lit or something, but bio- that's biology class? No homework. Oh. Everybody gets an A. We. What? Um, this is not Laziest isolated. Laziest teacher in the world. Uh, she's a decolonizer. She's not lazy. She's... Uh, you don't have to grade papers. Yeah. I tell you, it's, it's a no great. Structure. It's a great scam. Oh. I'm decol. I'm the hero in the story. I'm decolonizing. I take yeah. it she wasn't tenured. That's why they got rid of her because mm. they could. I, I don't know. Maybe she. Know. Maybe she went to the Ivy League. I don't know where she ended up. I'll check um, the old Google box for you. How's that sound? There's a a book uh, written by a couple of uh, academics called Academically Adrift. Uh, the research they did for their book started in 2005. They followed 3,000 students over four years across 29 colleges and universities. So it's a pretty good-sized trial population. They wanted to, uh, you know, document the experience. 3,000 students over four years across 29 colleges and universities, starting back in 05. Okay. In a typical semester, 32%, a third of the kids, did not take any course with more than 40 pages of reading per week. Half of the kids did not take a single course in which they wrote more than 20 pages over the course of the semester. No more term papers. A third of kids across uh, almost three dozen colleges and universities. No course with more than 40 pages of reading per week. And half, no course where they wrote more than 20 pages over the course of a semester. You want want to understand why people can't appreciate the sophistry of political charlatans and corporate charlatans? They can't understand the arguments that are being made because they don't know how to make an argument themselves. They can't follow the logic or the lack thereof of a particular case that's being made because they have no capacity to offer one. Why people can't connect the dots? And this is, you know, for the third of kids that actually go on to post-secondary education, ostensibly the better students. Not necessarily smarter people, but the better students, you would think, generally speaking. Nicholas Giordano, in a uh, op-ed over at Campus Reform, higher edu- uh, campus reform uh, he's a higher education fellow, uh, 
revealed how the percentage of students who cannot pass a citizenship citizenship exam, asking very basic questions about America's founding and our system of governance. And remember, these are the people that are, you know, chanting along with the socialist Spice Girls, these morons in Congress, about how they're saving our democracy and they're the vanguard against threats to our democracy. Questions on the citizenship exam include who is the Speaker of the House, which branch of government has the power to declare war, who is considered the father of the Constitution, how many Supreme Court justices are there. Of the more than 2,100 students given the test, the citizenship test, this basic citizenship test, over the past 12 years, so we're starting back in 2005 with the research for the Academically Adrift book. Twelve years of this basic citizenship test. That uh, once upon a time, something like this, you had to pass to get out of high school. Only 16% have passed out of 2,100 kids in 12 years. 16%. And, you know, this is not like, who's the Speaker of the House? Oh, who cares? If you know who the Speaker of the House is then it's you a pretty good indicator that you have some interest in civics right. and that you understand the importance of the position, or at least that you're curious enough to begin to get an understanding of the importance of the position and how it operates, uh, how that person operates within the House and operates within Congress and operates within the government, and then you get a more a more uh, rounded understanding of of the legislative branch and how that interacts with the other two branches. You know, I mean, it, one thing leads to the other if you start to know certain things. And maybe you're intellectually curious enough to want to know more things. 16% in 12 years. So, you know, this everybody gets an A at the bio, in the biology course at UC San Diego. Again, not a one-off. Frederick Hess, uh, Rick Hess, our friend over at American Enterprise Institute, where he's the director of education policy. He did a survey. Are college classes too hard for today's students? And um, Pete would say yes. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. yeah, but no, but no. then how? W- what's the re- what's the response with this, the desire of students? Actually, it wasn't Hess's survey. He was pointing to a survey that was done by Intelligent.com. A thousand college students surveyed, majority expressed at least one class in their schedule was too difficult, and that the university should force pro- uh, professors to make classes easier. And so this calls to mind recently uh, Maitland Jones, the organic chemistry professor at NYU, who was fired because his class was too hard. Fired because his class was too hard. The chemistry class, right? Right. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking organic as you chemistry. Yeah, you're, you're talking as you said, like, yeah, organic chemistry is hard. And, and we, uh, when we talked about this on the show, when Maitland Jones was fired, you had medical professionals, doctors calling. Yeah, organic chemistry is hard. But, you know, you, it's, it's also sort of important. It's meant to be hard. It's and, and frankly, to it's meant to the week. Exactly right. Exactly it right. Him. He's got three hour labs and it's it's organic chemistry is a very difficult course. I, I yeah, I don't I don't want, want uh, to look at the syllabus. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I also don't want my uh uh you know cardi uh, heart surgeon to uh have gotten a free pass on organic chemistry. You know what I mean? Uh so it's just I, I just find the University of California San Diego story 
important to understand the breadth of what's happening in academia as people continue to send their kids off to college and pay uh, exorbitant amounts of money for very little in return. Yeah. Got a lot of text messages coming in. Remember, Dan and Amy, those biology students go on to become our doctors. And and how long it's been going on. How long this has been going on. And then now, how long, the longer something bad goes on, the more dire the consequences will be. So... Connect those dots. 312-642-5600 is our turnkey dot pro answer line. 64636. Type in a quick comment on our text line. Mark in North, I mean, excuse me, Paul in Northwest Indiana. Good morning. I work at a two-year college in Indiana, statewide college. I don't teach, but I am there observing in my function. And these students come from high school handheld. And the college does whatever they can to help these students graduate. I've heard from instructors saying that it's almost, they have to be coddled to graduate. Uh, It's very depressing because looking at the number of students that want to learn versus the number of students that would say, I'm just here because mom and dad want me here, that's so disproportionately on that side that It does surprise me that these students are saying, oh, it's too hard. Well, they were never told life is hard. You're going to stub your toe, you're going to break your arm, but you're going to live. And I see it every day, and it is sad. And sometimes instructors will just walk away because the college is so focused on getting their students graduated instead of improving the quality of the graduates. So you're at you're at a junior college, and I wonder, um, you know, what percentage of the students that you come across are prepared to do post secondary collegiate work? Because one of the things that we pointed out for a long time on this show is that we're paying for K through 12 education, particularly nine through 12 education, a couple times over, because when those kids go on to college, two year or four year, a significant percentage of them are in remediation because they're not prepared to do next level work well it's exactly and what COVID has done is changed the con has changed colleges you don't need to be on campus to learn math but you need to be on campus to learn blue collar work or science work and i've even heard this from uh instructors that teach uh, uh 3d design uh imaging and graphics and stuff he says these students don't want to they don't want to come on campus and learn they they, they just want to sit at home and it's it for for I don't see a lot of our students moving up to the four year college once they graduate with their associate. It's it's not we're not I'm we're, I'm not given that number, but I can't believe it's really high. Mm-hmm. And they just come in because they get money or whatever. College is free. Uh, Barnes and Nobles runs the bookstore. I hear all the time the number of students that come in and complain, and they say complain about what? You get free books. So uh, you well, get free we don't education. want books. We don't, we don't want books. We don't want class. Just give me my associate's degree so I can satisfy my parents and <laughs> and go to the medical exactly. marijuana or go to the marijuana dispensary. Forget the medical part. Yeah, thanks for the call, Paul. Appreciate it. Uh, just another 
study. Professors Philip Babcock, University of California, Santa Barbara, Mindy Marks, UC Riverside, Mm -hmm. found in a November study uh, just this past month, today's students hit the books for just 14 hours a week compared to 24 hours per week in 1961. Well, well, right. I mean, you're only getting, I mean, in so many of these classes, you're not getting much to read. There's not much, much demanded of you in terms of writing. So there's not much demanded you in terms of thinking, doing, even showing up. Yeah, that should work out well. It's preparing you know, kids to be wildly successful in their chosen career paths, right? Sasha on the south side. Hi, Sasha. Hello. Sasha. Sasha, you're on. Can you hear us? Sasha. Hello. Oh, oh hey, Sasha. How you doing? Sasha, you're on. Go ahead. Hi. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, so I'm a Chicago public school teacher, and I've been at Chicago public school for over 20 years. Um, it is an absolute joke. Since I started, um, anyone that has 70-plus absences, you can give them a 50 no matter what, 50 points, no matter if they do an ounce of homework, if they're there or not. Just recently, within the last five years, now anybody that has is bilingual, you can't give them anything more than a C. Really? It is. It is. It's an absolute joke on what's happening. I can't wait to get out. I'm counting my years. I can't because I'm a single mom with a special ed child, and it's. <laughs> you'd be amazed. I, when I'm coming out, I will definitely write a book because people have no idea what. Do you teach at the high school level? No grammar school. So I see it as a young age, and they are dumbing down these kids. Yeah. Thanks for the call, What Sasha. is being taught is absolutely, it's not engaging at all. We are a robot is what we are. Thanks for the call, Sasha. Well, yeah, robots, at least, if, and they're just being programmed with politics. They're not being programmed, like, to solve math equations or to read, as we know from the test scores at the third grade and the sixth grade level and then what it gets better magically in high school or beyond no of course not Mm -hmm. joe orland park hey dan and amy how are you good i'm a retired dentist i graduated from uh loyola's dental school in 1978 and i was a part-time instructor in there until 1993 when the school closed but in 1993 the average age or i'm sorry the average grade point of the freshman class was not even a C plus and none of the instructors really wanted to hold the student back because then it would be up to them during their summer break to make sure that um, this this student passes and you brought up a cardiologist I used to always say God if this is happening in dental school what's happening in medical school and uh, University of Illinois their dental school they have no requirements you can go through four years and not even do a crown on a patient and graduate. Ooh. So I'm glad my dentist didn't know, go to U of I. It's scary. Yeah. Yeah. Mine went to It's scary. Thanks for the call, Joe. Ooh, yeah, not uh, well. That's the other issue too. Uh, I, I mean, there's issues abound, of course, but uh, the Jaime Escalantes are fewer and farther between, aren't they these days? Diane Frankfurt. Hey. Um... My daughter's been busting her butt for a year studying for the LSAT, 
and really working hard, you know, keeping up with her school and everything else. And now she said she's so mad because they're going to eliminate you having to take the LSAT in like 2025 or something like that, she just read. Sure, it's racist. Yeah. That's crazy. Thanks for the call, Diane. Uh, My LSAT score will live on in uh, infinity regardless. Oh, yeah, care to share? No, I mean, it was was good. It was, yeah. It was good. But, Close you know, to perfect. Yeah, but uh, I mean, want some not numbers. That, not that that was, you know, not that that's like a leading indicator of being a great lawyer any more than an, S- uh, an SAT or ACT score is a leading indicator of being a great professional and so on and so forth. But it does show like some level of capacity to do the work. But we don't want to measure that these days either, do we now? This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I'm going to go back to uh, Virginia Senator Mark Warner who uh, got the call yesterday to get out to the cable news networks to propagandize on behalf of the Biden administration. He was on uh, with McCallum on Fox. He was on with Sh- uh, Shudo on CNN, running the interference on the uh, very difficult to defend positions and rhetoric that the Biden administration has offered in defense not much of the white paper protesters in China. Because it dovetails nicely with this uh, column our next guest wrote. Mark Warner on, uh, you know, hey, don't expect. It's real complicated. We need to be diplomatically savvy when it comes to criticism of the Chinese communists, you understand. Particularly after the most recent meeting between Xi and Biden um, to try to have lower some of the tensions. This is a we don't want a um, an active conflict to erupt. Um, I think those of us in the Congress have a little more freedom and I think we can push the administration. But as you said, we don't want to feed the propaganda machinery that turns these protests driven by Chinese people into what the overall message would be to the Chinese people. And remember, that's why I talk about the technology. The TikTok, for example, that the Chinese people receive is very different than the TikTok that we receive for, uh, as one case. The Chinese social media companies that are completely owe their allegiance by law to the Communist Party, not their mm-hmm. shareholders. So if they are able to portray this as kind of an anti-Chinese or um, yeah. Western uh, plot, that undermines the very protesters that we're trying to stand be, stand with. Mm, we need to quietly be behind the protesters. We don't want to tip off the Chinese communists that were behind them, you see. Very cagey, right? You're squirrely. Why? Why not come out and support them? For more on this, please be joined by David Harsani, senior editor at The Federalist, thefederalist.com, author of Eurotrash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. Uh, David, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you. So I was um, thinking of your rant, as you put it, on national conservatism when I was uh, listening or watching Mark Warner yesterday offering his uh, 
fork-tongue nonsense uh, in defense of the Biden administration uh, and the Biden administration's lack of moral clarity on the Chinese communists, a very different approach than Reagan took to the Soviet Union, for example. Right. It's more it's more the approach that Obama took with the Iranian revolution when he was president um, or, or protest. And, you know, I mean, there's a way to say uh, to, to support protesters without, uh, you know, undermining their cause. It's simply to say, you know, we, we support free speech. We support people's freedom of movement. We support, you know, all the things that the Chinese protesters want. I think the problem with it is that many Democrats actually didn't support those things. And uh, we're also. Uh, in favor of lockdowns. And we're also in favor of of just uh, unilaterally closing churches, closing businesses and so on. I'm not saying it was to the same extent as the Chinese, but it was still pretty bad. Yeah, well, and and again, um, we don't have nuclear weapons to give the Chinese. They already have them. So we have to figure out something else to give them um, to make (laughs) nice. Right. Is that that, that what we should do? Come bearing gifts of some sort? I mean, we do. We send a lot of money there. They lend us a lot of money. We have, a, you know, it's a complicated relationship. But uh, obviously, um, I think we want the people there and society itself and the government and the, and the state to loosen restrictions and to be freer. And that, that, that is better for the entire world. It would be better for us. It would be better for them. Well, do you uh, think I'm, I'm that not, that's going to yeah. happen, though? I mean, there's... I used to think it was going to happen in China, for sure, because I just assumed that with, with, with wealth, people would demand more freedom. But I always overestimate the... Uh, I always overestimate, uh, I think, how free people want to be, and I think they'd rather be safe. And I'm not blaming the Chinese people, but it hasn't really uh, gone as I expected. So my answer to that is I'm not sure. Well, the jumping off point uh, that this discussion provides to your column on the coming civil war you described that's about to break out and destroy the modern Republican Party. Um, So explain where you are as uh, people look with a skeptical eye to the uh, incoming Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, to the ongoing Senate Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell, and to the prospect of Trump versus DeSantis versus Kemp versus whoever else in 24? Huh. Well, I guess I, I think they see uh, or they don't see a co- co- coherent, compelling, cohesive message on on very much at all other than not liking Democrats. And it's fine to oppose the other party. I think you need a message in itself. And for the last three elections or four, probably, um, you know, we've turned or conservatives or Republicans have turned to this message. that's far more populist economically and it's chasing working class voters. And there's nothing wrong with working class voters or even chasing working class voters in a certain sense. But I think they've forgotten suburban voters and other voters that they need that aren't as uh, enamored with the idea of, uh, you know, economic populism or or some of the, you know, some of the notions that uh, this faction of the Republican Party likes to argue for. Now, obviously, you know, there are many different factions even among that one. So it's, it's difficult to pin down exactly what they believe. But in general, I just think and, and, you know, and these people are always mocking Reaganism and all that. And I'm not saying people should be talking about Ronald Reagan all the time, but his fusionism, the way he brought together people, I think had a far wider appeal than than the Trump message does right now after three elections. I think it's pretty clear that that's true. Um, I would say maybe even the Tea Party was more successful than that, and they had a similar fusionist message. And I think that Republicans need to get back to that. It's more idealistic. It's more realistic. I think that there are many more issues uh, for sub- suburbanites that, you know, that, that, that suburbanites would uh, – 
you know, would be endeared to or cling to that, that, that you can make rather than these populist arguments for working class voters. Well, that said, do you think the GOP should open an investigation into the Biden family corruption and Hunter Biden's laptop or would that be self-serving? No, I mean, that's I think that's a political thing rather than, you know, a, an agenda item. But, yeah, I mean, I think they should. I'm not sure if it should be the first thing on their agenda or the most important thing, but there is no reason for them not to do that. It's clear to me there's much evidence that or circumstantial evidence, but still it's there that uh, that Biden himself might have benefited from those relationships. So I think that's a legitimate uh certainly a legitimate investigation. So these suburbanites uh, you speak of, um, do you get the sense that uh, that these suburban, these allegedly swing voters in the suburbs, they're opposed to the expansion of the welfare state? They're, they want to have a serious discussion about uh, reducing the size and scope of entitlements. They're truly the fiscal conservatives that they uh, present themselves to be. No, not really. I mean, yeah, right. I don't think that that. Yeah, I don't think that's the leading message they have. But but I would say that schools, for instance, and school choice issues or, or getting the sexualized content out of schools are the issues that, uh, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, Youngkin mm-hmm. was uh, thinking about would would uh, benefit in Arizona or Nevada, where their suburbs are growing like crazy. And, the, and Republicans lost seats they should have won, probably. Right. And so, I mean, I agree with that. And so then when it comes to things that, you know, seemingly are more narrow cast, like, I, I don't know, pitching a line about uh, you know, drag queens in the schools, um, you, you seem to indicate, you know, that that's that's getting too far down the uh, path of social conservatism, which is where a lot fewer people are these days. And, and I agree with that. But by the same token, well, then why does the left seem to think that that is a good place to be, particularly when right now, at least, the public opinion surveys suggest that many more people agree with the more conservative position than they do with the the left's uh, solidarity and marginality play here? I, I don't, like I've said, I don't believe that that's a completely... I just I, I believe that's an issue that's important in many ways, especially not so much the drag queen story hour stuff, but the, the mutilation of children. I mean, I think that that is a completely legitimate issue. I'm just saying that when you make drag queen story hour a, really one of the big issues that you're talking about on a campaign where you're where you're in Henderson, Nevada, I just don't think it affects most people. And that's not why they're getting out to vote. That was my only point on the drag queen. Yeah, you know, no, but I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm not necessarily criticizing. I'm trying to sort of explore this, sort of like figure out the path here because I'm, I'm not clear on it myself. But because, I mean, for example, in the suburbs here in Chicago, we had one of the most disagreeable, noxious people on the planet, Sean Caston, um, run a campaign that was completely about uh, abortion and drag queen story hour, uh, you know, in terms of like, if you don't support drag queen story, you're a bigot. And of course, if you don't support abortion on demand, taxpayer funded, then you are a misogynist. And and, you know, and he he wins reelection going away. And I mean, and, and, yeah, other, I, but... and, and you saw and you saw a lot of campaigns of that ilk, maybe not as, um, you know, as pointed and as uh, just uh, as aggressive to be generous as Caston, but still sort of that same approach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, I think most people per- take a perfunctory vote for the party they always vote for, really. I mean, I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. This sounds terrible, but I don't think issues are that important for a lot yeah. of people in the sense of 
it's more just a cultural outlook on the world. And you're like, Republicans are social conservatives. I hate them. I'm going to vote for the other party. I mean, I think that most people who care about politics vote that way. But I think there are a bunch of people out there who can be convinced. Here's my saying. Populism is usually chasing around people and the things that they believe should be done. And of course, you should represent the people who vote for you. But you can also convince them of things. You can yes. bring ideas to them that they haven't heard. That is my, I mean, that's the crux of what I'm saying. I think chasing voters in that way is not a successful strategy in the long run. And again, in some, in some places it is, like Vance in Ohio. I'm not saying that there's just one easy fix for this. I'm just saying people are moving west. People are moving in, into Arizona, to Florida, uh, to Nevada, and things like that. So, Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's right. And I think um, we don't spend enough time actually learning from the left that you can move public opinion over time and frankly relatively short time to things that were super minority positions and all and all of a sudden they're super majority positions think of marriage redefinition for example on their side or from our side you mentioned it before and we don't spend enough time talking about it i agree school choice and how that has become really a majority position and in some places a super majority position when there was a time where a lot of people didn't understand it, even in blue states like Illinois, where we have a robust tax credit scholarship program. And let, let me just say this about Florida, just because you mentioned DeSantis before. Just people like that DeSantis goes after Disney, but they move to Florida because the taxes are low and the regulatory environment is, is, is yeah. good. And, you know, it's good living and the schools yes. are good and the voting is clean. That's why they move there, not because he's going after Disney, which there's nothing wrong with going after crony capitalism. But when your whole philosophy becomes dunking on liberals, I just don't think that's going to be as compelling a message to a lot of people who don't follow politics all the time. Something else that you uh, wrote in your piece on this, because I think this is the conversation that, that has to happen within conservative ranks here. Um, it, it reminded me of something actually George Will wrote about Mitch, McDan Mitch uh, Daniels, uh, several years back when we were hoping he would run for president in 2012, which is that Mitch, you know, Mitch Daniels, he doesn't have the charisma to be president. He's, you know, he's too diminutive. He's too soft-spoken. And George Will said he has the charisma of competence. And that's something mm -hmm. that DeSantis possesses. And he's, you know, charismatic too as a speaker, but uh, less charismatic as Brian Kemp. But that's also something he possesses. He did a good job. They pay attention. They're good executives. And that has currency. Uh, 100%. You know, you had a lot of people running. I, I don't buy into this idea that Republican ca candidates were that much worse, really, no. quality-wise than Democrats. Right. However, once you're in, in office uh, and you're an incumbent and you're competent, I think that goes a long way with voters because they don't, it, they don't love change, as you see. Incumbents win all the time. And when you have Republicans who are, re I mean, we talk about Ron DeSantis because, you know, he had a lot of success. But people forget not only just a few years ago, that was a purple state. You know, he only mm -hmm. won by a very 100%. slim margin. Now he basically turned it. Yeah, he basically turned that into a red state. A lot of that had to do with competence and people moving there because of that competence. So, yeah, I think that goes a long way. So, David and Hersani, uh, what do you make of President Trump entering the race for the third time? <laughs> I wish he wouldn't. Um, you know, and I'm not, uh, you know, reflexively anti-Trump all the time. I just think there are better candidates out there. And as we saw with this dinner he had and, you know, whatever you make of it, it's just distracting and just shows a, a level of, I don't know, incompetence that, that we don't need. So um, I'm not a big fan of it, no. Well, I, I got to say, with respect to that dinner, um, whether it was sort of um, – 
somewhat intentional or not, you know, for the purposes of spectacle and and chatter. Uh, you know, the the are the idea like I don't know who Nick Fuentes is. So I'm sorry, you're a former president of the United States and you're having dinner with people that you don't know. You don't have people around you that uh, act as gatekeepers to clear who is going to be on your schedule and why so that you don't walk into something unprepared. I, I find that difficult to believe. Do you think DeSantis would ever sit down with a, blo- uh, a vlogging oh, Nazi? No. I doubt it. So I doubt it. Yeah. No, hell yeah. no. David Harsani, senior editor at The Federalist, Federalist.com, author of Eurotrash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. David, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Yesterday, we shared the story of Franca Panettone, a 46-year-old woman with Down syndrome, who had died of COVID in March of 2020 uh, after being strapped down to a hospital bed for 10 days not understanding what was happening to her, not really having the capacity to make medical decisions on her own behalf, while doctors and nurses did not communicate with the family, did not allow the family to intercede on Franca's behalf. One of the examples of man's inhumanity to man that occurred during COVID, still occurring at the hands of people we're supposed to treat unquestioningly as heroes. We were able to bring you that story because of Justin Hart's work. Justin Hart's a chief data analyst and founder of rationalground.com. He's also the author of Gone Viral, How COVID Drove the World Insane, and he writes at covidreason.substack.com. Justin Hart, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh, great to be with you, Dan and Amy. Thanks for having me on. You know, before we get into um, some of the particulars of Frank's story and other stories, um, just some background here on you, because uh, correct my, my understanding if it's incorrect, but it seems to me like you were like a, a corporate data digital guy. And when, as you write, the world lost its mind, you got involved in posting about COVID and analyzing the data and presenting data. And you became sort of an information portal for all things COVID. But but it doesn't strike me that you're necessarily uh, a guy who comes from the political or policy arena. Uh, you were sort of thrust into it, if you will, because of your interest in trying to analyze what was happening and offer some rational commentary based on what we knew as we learned things. Yeah, that's accurate. I, I say at the outset of my book, I'm not a healthcare expert, and normally I wouldn't insert myself into someone else's domain, Dan, but the powers that be seem to have no problem inserting themselves into my domain, my business, my church, my my, you know, my barber, my kids' education. Uh, so I thought, you know, I better check the math because I know math and I know data. And when we pulled out the data, whether it was uh, what is the actual risk of death for my children from COVID uh, versus does this plexiglass actually work? and mm-hmm. looking up studies and understanding how those data points work, I come to find out all of it was wrong. 
So I started a group early, early in the pandemic uh, where we looked at the data. We tried to hold people accountable. We had Dr. Fauci going before Congress and really blasting terrible numbers that were instilling fear. And it turns out from all of the FOIA requests and the information that we have now uh, that this was it was a fear induced policy. Uh, My group became the backbone behind Scott Atlas when he was at the White House, who had very little support. And we pro bono provided him data, charts, whatever he asked for so we could analyze it for him. He brought it to us and gave us his policy perspective. And we hope to right the ship. The election didn't go away. And here we are in this morass where still we have children that are masked in preschool and we have hospitals that won't admit loved ones if even a person is dying. Those are things that just boil my blood. And the book is really a set of myth-busting tools that people can use to bring to your school board, bring to your hospital, and maybe just give a gift to that one neighbor next to you who's still double-masked alone in the car, right? Oh my God. I was at the spa the other day. A woman had six masks on, and I'm not making that up. And the, the owner's like, I, I, I'm worried that you're not going to be able to breathe, and she asked her to leave. But remember the point in time when if you weren't vaccinated, you couldn't get an organ transplant? Remember that racket? Well, the... Yeah, the the stats on that are terrible, too. We think that over the course of the spring, just the spring of 2020, uh, and this was brought to our attention first by oncologists who came to me and said, Justin, uh, either COVID has cured cancer or something else is happening altogether because they were diagnosing half as many cancers as they typically would, sometimes 80% drop in cancers because people were too scared to the hospital to get treatment and that is coming up now in stage three and stage four cancers one more stat this one cuts across political boundaries we believe and this is based on two different studies that we missed probably about 250,000 cases of domestic child abuse because that's typically called out by sharp-eyed teachers and administrators and kids weren't in school Yeah, well, on the cancer piece, right, we have a story out last week about uh, as many as uh, 100 million uh, cancer screenings missed in the Eurozone and a prediction of a cancer epidemic, quote unquote, in uh, in Europe. Yeah, the flip side of this coin was something they really never took into account. And the book has some interesting and humorous stories, too, uh, like the staff of a hotel off the strip of Vegas who spent the entire spring walking up and down the halls like Jack Nicholson in The Shining uh, because these (laughs) hotel rooms were empty and they had to flush the toilets, otherwise diseases come back. So it was just a humorous (laughs) time as they walked the halls. But sometimes it's as tragic as the story that you recounted uh, from our friends, the Panatones uh, and Franca, their beautiful daughter, 46-year-old woman, strapped to a bed they later find out, spending 10 days alone, not understanding anything, and ultimately succumbing to that disease. Um, It was a terrible incident, and I'm hearing as I publish the story, more and more people coming out sharing those same type of stories. It really did drive the world insane, and we lost a little bit of our humanity. What is the biggest lie from the last uh, two or three years that persists, do you think? Well, I, I think the biggest impactful lie that was out there was a terrible assumption right at the top. And it's kind of like the chaos theory of butterflies and hurricanes. A a butterfly flaps its wings here and starts a hurricane down the line. 
asymptomatic transmission, you know, one of those great Scrabble words that we have added to our vocabulary during the pandemic, asymptomatic meaning someone doesn't know they're sick and they're spreading it all together. That assumption led to mask mandates, quarantining the healthy, plexiglass, stay-at-home orders, right? And what we come to realize, that accounted for less than 1% of all of the infections. It was thought that that was the main transmission point. It turns out the main transmission issue is that it's an aerosolized respiratory viral pathogen, and you cannot stop that with a mask or plexiglass or stay-at-home orders or anything else there. And it's not through people. It's mostly through people that are symptomatic spreading these things. So that one assumption led to terrible consequences of our kids being quarantined for the slightest exposure, 10 days at home. Well, that happened to us. I got eight kids. That happened over and over again during the, oh. this, this, the, uh, the fall and winter of 2021. And you have this new mass study that confirms that N95s didn't work either. Yeah, uh, e- even CNN's uh, analysts will tell you that the regular masks that people wore for two years are nothing more than facial decorations. This study compared the very robust N95 respiratory masks among healthcare staff to the regular, you know, surgical masks that we were all sort of donning along with our cloth masks. It found no difference whatsoever. And we have replete studies. Our group was the first one to actually take masks, send them into a lab that our kids were wearing. It came back. They had cow herpes on them, right? Anyone who looked into their kids' masks knew this is something they should not be wearing. Sorry, they they weren't kissing cows. It was from meat consumption. That's how it kind of passes. Wow. At least I tell myself that. I don't think (laughs) What the hell are those cows doing? Um, Yeah. Told you to tip the cow, not kiss the cow. uh, It's, it's, you know... um, how I I don't know, but maybe perhaps based with your on your conversation with Scott Atlas, but I, I don't want you to break any confidences. But, you know, how much of this and we see with some of the information coming out of Tony Fauci's recent deposition in the case that was filed by the Missouri attorney general, um, how much of this was known by these public health professionals that held such influence because they had so much camera time over the last couple of years and how much of it was. They just don't know. And out of an abundance of caution, another favorite phrase that's all become part of our lexicon, they were erring on the side of, you know, uh, prophylactics and prevention and, uh, and and the like. Well, Scott was making so much progress with the details and studies he was able to bring to bear and showing, you know, the flip side of the coin that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks would just not show up to these meetings anymore. But when he would catch hmm. them, you know, he'd try to impress upon them, can we change the policy? I asked Scott one time, I said, maybe, maybe they're just having trouble saving face. And he stopped me. He said, no, Justin, a lot of these people are dumb. They don't know wow. what they're doing. And so I would say there was some malice involved. There was some really bad policy. There is a good portion of this awfulness that was based on ineptitude. No, but I mean, but but with respect to Fauci, you know, we know what he said about masks from that deposition. And then we know what he said about masks as recently as last week with his uh, fare thee well press briefing. Uh, you know, you look good in a mask kind of thing to continue to promote the idea of, of wearing those facial decorations. Yeah, the hubris for this man is really something to behold. Uh, when you look through the emails and he's having conversations with his secretary about who is going to play him in the movie, and he suggested that yeah. she's going to have what? a great time because she'll be able to 
co co star with Brad Pitt because he he pictured Brad Pitt playing him in the movie. Well, that was oh and, my and, and, god, and that, I forgot about that. That's sick. And that was that was after he and uh, Andy Cuomo had fun. Who was going to be played by De Niro? Who was going to play be played by Pacino? Those two Covidine heroes. What what a terrible scenario here that you know the, the people are are dying in these nursing homes. We are the most risk at risk policy, and our kids are suffering at home, losing massive education, and, and then just the entire policy itself. We know that the two main comorbidities that might indicate a real problem if you get COVID are obesity and lack of vitamin D. So Dr. Fauci devised a policy to stick us all inside, out of the sun, eating takeout, putting on our COVID, you know, 19 pounds, all of us here. And and what a terrible consequence to our entire public and especially the loss of trust. I know. And our mayor, she shut down the lakefront. She shut down the 606 trail. I mean, besides, you know, putting caution tape and taking down basketball hoops at every every park. So uh, real quick, recently Twitter uh, got rid of their COVID-19 misinformation and uh, I know that our good friend Emma Woodhouse, Jessica Hackett, she still hasn't been returned to Twitter. Were you ever taken off and then put back on? Yes, I was. Uh, right after that fateful day, July 15, 2021, when Jen Psaki and the Surgeon General admitted that they were using Facebook and Twitter by proxy to silence censorists. Jessica, as you mentioned, is completely off the air. We hope to get her back this week. If Elon's promise is good, we'll see if that comes through. Look, uh, the, the book is designed as a tool, as a weapon, as a shield that people can use to blast through all of the myths. We've got these great stories. We even have some letter templates in the back that you could use for your school board. Uh, these are things that we need to be apprised on. Even though a lot of it seems in our rearview mirror, these same tactics, they will bring up again, whether it's for the next wave of COVID, the next pandemic, or whatever imagined boogeyman that they have that they feel they can put you under their thumb. From from your conversations as well as uh... Uh, your own analyses do you have any perspective on origination and the prospect that it came from that wuhan lab it's pretty clear and in fact if i take the the data that we have and run it through a machine learning program and it tells us basically just on on unbiased way what would this come out with would it come out from the lab would it come out uh as an originating thing from a wet market it always comes back that it's lab originated from the DNA of the actual virus itself. Also consider that the Wuhan lab is exactly 900 feet from the wet market where it was found. About a six-minute walk right across a bridge, 900 feet as the crow flies. And <laughs> from that, it I must be just coincidence, right? I mean, look, these deduction points are pretty simple. And from the FOIA emails we have, you can tell Dr. Fauci and crew were very, very nervous. When those words first came out, he sent a note to his lieutenants and said, be by your phones. You're going to have instructions. You're going to have tasks to perform today. Uh, They were very concerned about this because they knew it would come back and haunt them. There may be worse things to come as as the stuff starts peeling off and Dr. Fauci leaves his official government for his very, very uh, prominent pension, the highest paid federal employee and pensioner in history. He is Justin Hart, chief data analyst and founder of RationalGround.com. The book, Gone Viral, How COVID Drove the World Insane. And you can also get his writings at COVIDReason.substack.com. Justin Hart, thanks again for joining us. Appreciate it. Dan, Amy, thanks so much. Thank you, and thanks for all the work you do. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Hear about the big stories of the day. 
Then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.